This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Yik. Every day, we talk about staying healthy and preventing diseases. But death itself is rarely part of that conversation, partly due to cultural taboos about dying and the end of life. Now, leading up to World Hospice and Palliative Care Day, which falls on the 14th of October, over the next few months, we'll be featuring various perspectives of living and dying well. And we want to challenge the norms in healthcare and in society when it comes to thinking and talking about death and dying. So in the first part today, joining me in the studio, consultant palliative physician, Dr. Lo Yichin, and uh, I'll be getting her to share her thoughts about whether death, dying and loss should become part of normal conversations and also become a shared responsibility within communities. Dr. Lo, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thank you. So um, we have had you on the show before and talked about this, but I think it's worth a refresher to understand the work that you do. Uh, What exactly is palliative care? All right. Now, palliative care, like um, I think nowadays there are many people aware if you Google, it's more or less you will find in the Google is like ends of life. But the definition of palliative care according to the WHO, World Health Organization definition, is about holistic care to patients with advanced disease or life-threatening condition. And the aim of palliative care is to help patients to live well, to have good quality of life. And how do we achieve that? We achieve that through very detailed assessment of the symptom, the physical discomfort, to treat them, if any, to understand what are the dilemma or the difficulties patients are in and help them to navigate through the healthcare system. And I remember the last time you came, you know, you referred to the root word of palliate, right? Yes. Which is to relieve. You're basically relieving whatever pain or unpleasantness that Yes, it's more than relieving because the the word palliate comes from the Latin word pallium, means like a cloak. So so we don't know, not only we want to relieve so-called the physical distress or suffering, but we also want to care like a cloak that, you know, uh, being connected, you know, let patients being connected, being covered and in a way being protected and Mm -hmm. feel safe. Right, right. That's an that's a great, I think, metaphor for us to think of that providing um, shelter almost, right? Yes. Mm. Like um, last week, there was um, one patient and family came to see me, and um, and the daughter asked this question. She said, "I'm sorry, but I need to ask you this very stupid question." She said, "She said, what is going to happen? And if anything happened, what am I to do?" Because I'm the only caregiver to my mom. So I said, what, what do you mean? She said, now I think I'm okay. But if anything happened to mom, what if, if suddenly I find it overwhelming? So when we say relief, we mean that relief distress from the patient. But we also want to relieve the distress from the caregiver family. So I told her, I said, our team here 
is not only to see your mum, but our team here is if you any time at all find difficult to look after your mum, you know, there's a contact number you can call and you should call us, connect with us and let us share and find out together what to do. And I also said to her that in time of emergency, emergency is open 24 hours and we are on call every day for you. So, so I, I would like to say that when we say cover and relief, we, we need to really mean what we say. And we need to be there, not be there when we are available, but be there when we are needed. Mm-hmm. Why is it important to make that distinction that it's not just about end of life, but it covers needs of um, all individuals with advanced and life-threatening conditions? The end of life, um, when the time comes, is usually peaceful. Patient will, most of time, all of us will sleep off. So if you say it's nothing romantic about end of life, but what happens is before we reach our final destination, it's like a marathon. So life is like a marathon, you know, we have to prepare, we have to run, we have to struggle. But when you reach the final destination, it's just the line you cross. Right. Not difficult, but it's to walk until the line, you know, and, and, and to run well. Mm-hmm. So, so end of life is a very small part, but ma- mainly is how to run this life marathon um, in a very happy and meaningful way. Mm. So in that context, um, how are we doing as a society um, when we think and talk about um, approaching the end of the line um, how are we doing when it comes to our attitudes towards death and dying mm, I would say from different perspective let's say from medical perspective about doctors and nurses I would say majority of doctors and nurses are aware and this is very good it's because the doctors need to know when is the time where treatment is not so effective and we always say the potential good is it more than the potential harm. So awareness of palliative care from healthcare professional is very important so that when the potential harm of the treatment is more than the potential good, the treating doctor needs to inform the patient and family and let them make an informed decision rather than trying to rush through the treatment where it will bring more potential harm, that patient will end up spending the limited time with treatment but not doing anything meaningful. So from doctor's perspective, it's important. Now from public, a lot of time, you know, it's still a taboo. People say like, you know, talking about it's very pantang and all that. But depends on how we look at it. Um, depends on how we want to deal with it also. Because we we have a choice. We can avoid it. So a lot of time when we avoid talking about death is we think we are live forever. And then we will work very hard to earn money to live a good life and forever. Which and, is not possible. But we that is what our wishful thinking. <laughs> and when something strikes, don't talk about death and dying. Strike like, you know, when the child suddenly gets sick or suddenly we are not well, then we feel the suffering is overwhelming. So, so we live our life forgetting that, in fact, to all of us, death is the destination. Mm. But we are rushing. Why are we rushing? Mm. So rather than you want to rush to a destination or you 
maybe marathon a bit, you know, enjoy a bit so that when you reach the destination, uh, happier a bit? When we were discussing this topic in a separate conversation, um, you said this line to me that I want to bring up again and get your thoughts. We tend to put death to one side as if it doesn't exist. And then it's the patient who suffers, you said. Um, What do you mean by that? And I want to challenge that if we look at, you know, their medical needs, their healthcare needs, I'm sure they're being taken care of because we have a good system. We have families who would care for the patients. Uh, so, so what did you mean by that? Okay, I'll give you an example. Like yesterday, I saw one elderly lady in her 70s. She has advanced disease and she has like bloated stomach with the water. And she has a little bit of cough and kind of bedridden. They called me because uh, she was in pain. And of course, patient has been in and out knowing that she has cancer and and family is well informed that her time is running short. But yet, this word of death uh, doesn't come. So after examining her, I kind of, she looked at me and like thinking, what am I going to say? So I said, you have two problems. You have ascites, water in your tummy, and definitely you have pain. And I say, but unfortunately, both with both, you are not going to die. And she like, oh. So I say, it's good news or bad news? <laughs> because this word death is very hard to come out. Mm. So I say, I, I need to tell you it's because you are, you're not feeling comfortable, but I don't want you to think you're dying because you are not going to die now. So I say, I hope we can give you medicine. That was Saturday. And I say, I hope when I come back Sunday, I want to see you in Starbucks, have coffee. She likes coffee. So so that is what I mean is a lot of time we, we want to push it to one side as if, you know, it doesn't exist. And family worry that it might hurt the patient. But sometimes it helps the patient. It helps the patient to know that, oh, my time is not now. So why should I waste worry and waiting? Mm. I should maybe enjoy my coffee. <laughs> but how do we balance this with the fact that you yourself acknowledge that in many of our cultures, the idea of death is so pantang. Uh, uh, we have superstitions and beliefs about it. How do we reconcile your mindset with these taboos? Because we can't force the, the mindset. We, we can't force and living experiences and sharing is important. So I like to recall that, you know, I still remember I never liked death I and I don't like seeing, you know, a dead body. So when I was in secondary, like you say, it's a taboo, you know, and parents always show us a sign to say, oh, don't look at it, children. When my grandpa passed away, you know, uh, we should say your your face cannot face the coffin because it's very bad luck. And then when one of my aunt was dying and she was so cacaxic like a skeleton, that time I was, I think I, as a medical student, I thought I can be very helpful. So I took a four hours bus, go up to the north to see her. When I saw her, I got a shock because to me that time she looked like a ghost. You know, I never expect someone so cacaxic. Mm. And I ran away. Mm. I say hi and I ran away. So what I'm saying is don't feel bad if we think we cannot accept that. Don't feel bad that, you know, some patients look really scared us. 
But I, what I'm trying to say is with life experiences, we can make a choice. So like for me, that time I asked myself that, you know, death is so bad and so scary and so unpleasant. So am I going to put it away or am I going to be scared and kind of, you know, don't want to face it? And then I kind of say that, or maybe I can do something better. So that maybe I can do something better, not so much for the people, but for myself, I think it helps me to go through. And it helps me kind of, when I see it again, I kind of say, oh, I have a choice. I have a choice is, I'm not trying to deny that it was terrible, it's scary, but after being feeling terrible and scary, I can say, maybe I should learn about it. Maybe I can make it the strength to choose to face it, you know. So many patients, People or patients say that, you know, you're facing dying pa- patients or family and all the way, and why you are never pantang? The thing is not that I never pantang, but uh, when we know that death can happen anytime, we can get sick every time, every day is precious. And um, I remember one of the patients uh, said to me, uh, he, he said, the most expensive thing I can never buy is time. So knowing death is something unpleasant, but if death can help us to realise that we all have limited time and treasury, that maybe perhaps is good. Let's go for a quick break and continue this conversation. Dr. Lo Yichin, consultant, palliative physician in the studio with me. We're talking about living and dying well. They come together. We can't separate um, death from life. And this is part of a um, sh- sort of a short series leading up to World Hospice and Palliative Care Day that falls on the 14th of October. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. On the show with me today, consultant palliative physician, Dr. Lo Yi Chin. We're discussing death. And uh, this will come as a surprise to some people on health and living. We're always talking about preventing death in a way. I mean, uh, we we assume that that's the whole idea of staying healthy. Um, But today we're sort of trying to challenge um, some of these perceptions that we have about death and dying and to look at how um, accepting the inevitability of death will help us to actually live better. Um, right now, Dr. Lo, if we go back to um, where we started this conversation, which was talking about palliative care, which one part of it is end-of-life care, I think right now it is seen as um, uh, in the domain of um, palliative care physicians like yourself because it's about providing a health service, uh, perhaps in hospital or perhaps in a hospice setting. Um, But are health professionals like you or or your team necessarily the ones most intimately involved in a person's um, end of life? You know, in those, it could be months uh, and weeks um, before the, the finish line, as you mentioned. Um, definitely not. Definitely not because I think um, caring for a patient, 
in fact, it's not caring for a patient. It's caring for a person. So healthcare professionals and team are part of the ecology system. Mm. But more important is the patient and their, his or her own networking and what matters. And the network also includes um, pets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pets That's true. Um, who are someone very important and also include um, you know community as a whole because when we go out socializing we, we need friends we, we need neighbors so it's about everyone now who is, who is the most important person to the patient I will always ask a patient is you should know who Right, and usually I always say to them, uh, it's very important. Have you spoken to person that matters to you? Mm. Have you discussed with a person that is very important to you? And I want to elaborate is about this important person to patient. A lot of time we we have this fixed idea. This important person to patient must be husband, wife, children, or you know the or answer parents. is no. So, so healthcare professionals, we cannot assume the most important person is a spouse. So I always say to a nurse, you, you should never, we should always ask the patient and we should always respect their privacy and keep the confidentiality to say that, you know, I wish this important thing you should share with the person important and matters to you. Mm. We, we need to be open-minded, you know, for patients to feel safe, to share and for patients to feel that, you know, we accept them and we do not judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, in um, I guess it's been relatively recently uh, that we take this approach that health is everyone's responsibility. So we talk about um, the community and our environment and other stakeholders playing a role in creating a healthy lifestyle. But so let's flip that, right? Is death and dying also everyone's responsibility um is it the responsibility and a shared experience within our community as well it depends on how we argue some people say uh, it's not by business <laughs> and <laughs> some uh, in in some individuals uh, p- uh people going through the um advanced disease may say i don't want other people to know Yes, and they always say it's the reason is because then they will start telling me what to eat and what to do and I cannot cope with it. (laughs) So so we need to come back to, yes, it should be everyone to take part, but we need to do it with respect Mm. and non-judgmental. The good news is um, it does matter to everyone. A lot of time we talk about death and dying, we don't involve children, but I want to share with you some good news. Lately, this year post-COVID, I have received many invitations to give talk in schools. Oh, I see. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and um, the school um, set up a program wanting to talk about this. The teachers wanting to know how to support those children uh, having uh, parents who are sick. So, mm-hmm. so this is a good sign. So it's everyone's business. Absolutely. Because you mentioned uh, advanced and, and life-threatening diseases and now um, non-communicable diseases are so prevalent in our community yes. and they tend to be prolonged. Yes. 
right? So people will not be necessarily um, spending most of those years in a hospital setting, right? Yeah. So when we talk about um, now majority of so-called patient with advanced disease are heart failure, um, kidney failure. Mm. Mm. But of course, uh, with kidney failure, patient dialysis, heart failure, the risk, potential risk of collapse or having a near-fatal event is higher than other population. And also, these patients suffer a lot. Yeah, like kidney failure patient, diabetes patient, they suffer a lot with like um, nerve pain. They suffer a lot with other symptoms like itch, you know, and all simple things like water control. Mm. So heart patients always say, oh, I can only drink this much. And then some patients say, but doctor, do, don't tell. I churi churi me no. <laughs> or they say, oh, that's sukambing tak kira. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, is it, so when we talk about symptom control, it's not like must be pain, but it can be just like how we live normally. What are the diet we should take? And how, let's say if we need to limit our water, how should we go about it doing a comfortable way rather than the churi churi, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and you said how people can be judgmental without, maybe they are well-meaning, um, but they will try to, you know, tell individuals what to do, give their so-called advice, right? So when we say that death could be a shared responsibility by the community, what does that actually mean? What role can our community play? Now, like it or not, Shaheq, the community is a network, like, like a spider web. So no one, none of us is independent. Right, human and environment, human to human. So like it or not, even we try to brush death away or not to see funeral, but we do smell it, we do know it. Mm. Yeah. Right? So, so we need to tell ourselves is, you know, we, I'm not asking that all of us should accept and embrace death, but I, I was... I want to share is by, by knowing that death is certain in life, treasure our time. Hmm. By knowing that death is coming near, don't waste time. Yeah. Because we always forget, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. But, but a lot of patients, people will ask me like, oh, you know, patients with advanced disease, sure, they're de very depressed. But I can tell you the answer is no. They are very motivated because they have limited time. Mm. And with limited time, I want to treasure it and enjoy it rather mm. than wasting and lying in bed. Yesterday, one of the patients said, first thing I want to go, if I go home, I want to clean up my coffee machine. <laughs> she, he said, I forgot that, you know, uh, I enjoy the smell of coffee. Yeah. Mm. So that is something I wanted to get to in my next question. What do we gain uh, when we recognize and embrace that kind of mindset? And that's one thing that you've said, that we then are motivated. We treasure life. Um, what do we gain collectively? And even in terms of the, the care and the quality of life 
uh, their individuals and their families get? Now, I will say, first, we need to be selfish. We do gain individually. By knowing that death is certain in life, we need to prioritise what what is important and what matters. Rather than we live as if there's no tomorrow, we work hard as if we will live forever and earn the money, you know. So, so individually, we will gain by knowing time is limited. Perhaps we should spend some moments in life being happy, some moments in life uh, doing something that means, means something important to ourselves rather than focus uh, on career or on, you know, uh, whatever. We need to be selfish to to take good care and make sure we live a better life. Now, how about the community and the neighbourhood? Now, Chinese, there's this word called se, te. Mm -hmm. Se means to give, te means to to receive. So when Chinese, we, we always say, you know, seta, seta, you know. So when we give, in fact, when we say, you know, uh, what is a, the, what can I gain if I kind of become your volunteer and help to look after people? The thing is, um, you are the one who gain because what you gain, I always say to them, I cannot tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> it's a secret. Right. Sometimes school children say, oh, yeah, you want me to this one, you know, play game. What, what do you gain? I say, no, it's a secret. The secret only you can discover. Now, many things in life you can talk about theory. You know, you can talk about, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, if you give, you get happiness. But that is theory. I, I do not want to talk about theory. I would say I would challenge everyone to say that just spend a few seconds. Now, to give doesn't mean you, you take a lot of time. Just spend few seconds learning to give a smile, learning to be give way to the car, you, you know, learning to let people jump the queue if it's needed. So learning to give, we will definitely can. It is a physics action and reaction. So I think today our challenge to everyone, all listener, is challenge yourself learning to give. Yeah, learning to give not in material things. The most difficult is learning to give our time. Yeah. Uh, time is more precious than any material thing. I also want to ask, um, when a person has actually um, finally uh, reached that finish line, like you said, um, how... You know, with a with an approach and a mindset like this, how does it actually improve um, their end of life in terms of their actual death? Okay, this one is a good question. I think for hospice background, we used to have these romantic ideas of, or the the you know we want a good death, a good death equal to die at home. But I think that one is already over. I see. Every individual is different. Social demographic has changed a lot over the last 20 years. So a good death should be defined by the patient, mm -hmm. not defined by our romantic idea of dying at home, surrounded by family. A good death, 
the, the, the good finishing should be defined by that particular person, what he or she wants. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of time, you know, we also have this good idea to say that it's good that you are accompanied by somebody or family or the loved one. But again, I'm learning every day, shall we? Recently, there's someone told me, you know, when the time comes, if I cannot cope, um, can I admit myself? Um, can you promise that you give me some peace and don't let so many visitors to come? I, I want the space, you know, but I also want comfortable because I don't want to have pain. So, so I think nowadays we need to respect individuals' choice. So that is perhaps something that we will need a huge mindset shift to accept that it's the patient-centered yes. approach. And I'm sure there are, um, there are different uh, attitudes towards it, but I think the perception or the assumption may be uh, when somebody is um, struggling with an advanced disease, their needs are sort of, or, or their their wishes are sort of taken away from them, right? Yeah, and sometimes it's not about patients don't want to because sometimes during the last part of life is simply we do not have the energy. Patients do not have the energy to entertain or socialise. But family visits and friends are definitely important, but we need to change the way we do. So, for example, usually I would tell the family, to I give instruction to say that, if patients want the family to come, then is everyone comes in, you just wish and you just greet not more than three sentences, you know, and don't wait for patient response because he or she might be very tired. Then the patient will just not open the eyes. It's good enough. So, so we need to cater to the patient's um, physical condition at that point of time. Mm. Or sometimes the distance one, you know, we will say that a lot of time, like especially old company friends, you know, old colleagues, then, you know, you can write in cars or whatever and patients in their free time awake, they can read. Mm. Yeah, so, so we need to, um, but I also realise sometimes it's not that the patient want to see so-and-so, but it's the so-and-so need to see the patient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I was trying to get at that. I think sometimes um, it's the people around the patients who make those decisions because they think they know what's best for the patient. Yeah, and we, they think that because you are at the end of life, you are you don't have the capacity to make these. Yeah, and this, we it, it should not happen. And I think this is what this program is about. We want to promote patient autonomy, patients' right to able to make decisions for themselves. But also coming to so-and-so who needs to see the patient at the end of life, the so-and-so, we can avoid this by making good relationship when someone is alive. <laughs> so yeah. treat our friends well, treat the families well, enjoy the company, uh, complain less. <laughs> Don't wait for end of life. You want to rush into that room and say whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so... Talking about death is something positive is we should prevent regrets in life mm. by living well every day, by making good connection with everyone all the time. Do you think that also we should have open conversations about what the individual would want at a certain point in their disease 
But have those conversations earlier. We tend to put those conversations off. Yep. So it's good to have, but again, I want to stress is theory is theory. We need to have this discussion at the appropriate time to the patient. Mm, not to force it on them. I think in life we have so many rules and all that. The last thing is you want to have rules to, to see what you should behave when you die. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need, but we need to know these are important and these things need to be addressed at the appropriate time, the right time for the patient and family. Mm. So I think um, you've talked a lot about sort of the maybe. It's, it's very much a mental uh, approach to take. Is there anything else in a more concrete or practical sense that we could start doing today? Yes, definitely is one, treasure our precious life. Yeah? And don't forget, we have the precious thing in life is our time. Don't trade the time for things less important. <laughs> Um, where can people reach out um, for support if their loved ones uh, have been diagnosed with a disease and they're sort of like, you know, uh, needing uh, support for planning and for end-of-life care? The good thing is there are many uh, hospices. We have nearly 30 hospices across the country and Kementerian Kesehatan are trying to set up palliative care unit in all the major states. If anyone has problem, all you need, if you need to talk to a palliative care team, you can ask the GP to write a letter and make appointment to any palliative care team. And the good news is for the last few years, there are few private hospitals also have the services. Mm. Yeah, So do keep in touch. Yeah. And again, um, there might be a misconception that, you know, I don't want to think about my family member um, dying. So I don't want to think about hospice or palliative care. Yeah. So so that is something we want to correct as well, right? Um, we, we want to correct is to say that hospice and palliative care is not end of life. Palliative care got four aim. I always tell the trainees that don't forget palliative care got four objectives. The first objective is prevention. Prevent death and prevent untimely death. Having an advanced disease doesn't mean you might die from disease, but you might die from other untimely death like fall or fracture. So we, we should do prevention. Yeah? We should really build up whatever the patients can to live well. Like uh, last week in clinic, I have someone with 80-year-old coming with uh, chronic disease, organ failure, and she thinks that uh, she is dying because she said I get weaker. But when I asked her to walk, she quite worked quite well. But she's so afraid that the family doesn't allow her to walk alone. So mm. she gets deconditioned. Right, yeah. Okay. So number one is prevent whatever uh, can be prevented, like muscle wasting and all that. Number two is you know, to cure whatever is possible. Yeah, sometimes advanced disease, but you might have some curable infection that we should cure. Yeah. And only when we can't with the disease that we cannot cure, then we try to kind of treat whatever that's causing the distress. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, any final message? Uh, life is precious. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Lo. I've been speaking to consultant palliative physician, Dr. Lo Yichin, talking about how we should treasure life um, 
and uh, you know embrace the idea of living and dying well. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.